Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. I'm Corinne. I'm Derek. And this is our podcast. Yeah, it's the third best uh, <laughs> climate change-based podcast in Sacramento we currently We have a operating. new fan, Derek. We so... have a couple of new fans, although we also have a new enemy. Enemy? Well, I don't know. Foley and enemy? We got a, a one-star rating. For too political? That guy? <laughs> On the politics? Yes. The same? Bring... That one? Yeah. That's the one? Yeah. Listen, I accept that. <laughs> Too political in our political podcast. I'll take it. We have new fans, although uh, we're doing our best to keep get rid of new fans because we're we? just not podcasting. It's been like a month. It has not been a month. It's been close to That's a month. That's an exaggeration. It was September Grossly, last time. It's barely October. <laughs> it's it's Listen, like two weeks in. Nobody knows what day it is. It's, <laughs> it's a terrible it's, time. It's Corona. Man. The election is less than a month away. It's... We've been busy. Is basically what's happened. So much has happened since we last podcast. I know. We've had two debates. The president got and then recovered from Corona. He's strong like ox. <laughs> <laughs> He's got tiger's blood. Yeah. Um, so much has happened, Corinne. Yes. But we're going to tell you about it. We're going to tell you all about other I must say, things. I have not gotten to watch the vice presidential debate yeah. because I'm now working PMs. And so I missed it and I have not had Didn't the miss energy. Much. I mean, I think I got the gist of it. Um, I've never heard Pence talk so much, though. And he had a fly on his hair and he has a lizard eye and kamala yeah. has a great gift now that says yes i'm speaking in a very sarcastic yeah it tone. was funny to watch the vice presidential debate after the presidential debate because the vice presidential debate was very much like politics five ten, ten years, years ago. ago yeah in which two people talked past each other didn't say anything and refused to answer the questions it was like, like oh, I remember, I remember politics like the this. The good old days? Yeah, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, afterwards, both sides claimed victory. So, yeah. <laughs> I heard that Kamala, uh, Kamala did not do as well as one would expect the prosecuting district for the district I mean, attorney to do. It's, let's put it this way. It's kind of impossible. She has to walk such a fine line. Yeah. Because if a woman is overly aggressive, she's a bee. If she's too passive, well, then she doesn't have leadership skills. Sure. If she, I mean, like the line for her, the line for anyone, any woman on the public stage like that is just a tightrope. And I thought she walked it as well as pretty much anybody could. She wasn't great. She refused to answer a bunch of questions. So did Pence. They both did. I think she got a couple of one-liners in there. Um, I've never, over the years, I'm trying to think, I couldn't imagine his voice. Like, I I know Donald Trump's voice in my head. I know Biden's voice. I hear it in Iceland. Yes. But I was trying to, like hear the sound of his voice in my own head i was like i has that guy said anything since he became vp i've never seen him he's just like a little mannequin in the back like a little puppet and then i was thinking is he even allowed to be on the stage with kamala because she is a woman and that's kind of like being alone did mother pre-approve this she was there maskless yeah (laughs) maskless yeah nice i don't know the debates they're useless. Like, of course. I'm not one of these people who thinks we should cancel debates. No. I think we should still have them. I do appreciate the idea that what we need to do is basically put them into like quiz show soundproof booths. <laughs> and that way the moderator can just turn on the mic and turn it off when he needs mm. to. So like Donald Trump, give me two minutes. And Donald Trump will go on his rant. And then when it's over, you just flip the switch and he can be ranting in his soundproof box to nobody while the other person gets to speak. Yeah, because it um, does seem like what donald trump is doing is absolutely the way to do it you just talk over the other person say whatever lies you want and then they lose their time like they don't get that time made up it doesn't seem like so it's actually 
in a horrible way, a great strategy. Just oh, sure. talk it's a over someone, tell monsters. lies. And unless they have the bottom of the screen, Donald Trump has interrupted 52 times. He has said 432 lies. Unless they've got that running at the bottom, this isn't really going to do any good. And even if it did, a lot of his supporters wouldn't care. Yeah, and I mean, they've tried to do like real-time fact checkers, but you just spit out so many lies, it's impossible. You can't keep up with exactly. it. Exactly. That's what the one time where Biden, I felt, really got, he got like, he couldn't, he was inundated with so many lies that he like struggled and i was like you got to make sure people don't think you've got dementia man that's the one thing that and they're i think he out. did that i think i think so he was better than other people expected he'd worse than i did because i watched the vice presidential debate with him and paul ryan and he wiped the floor with paul ryan in my opinion sure. and he was just clever and fast i don't think he was as clever i don't think he was as fast but maybe that was in response to donald trump's absolute insanity yeah that could, could be, be it and he's also older Let's he put is it this also way. crazy older, older now but i did there's people who i work with who are obviously very far to the right and they kept saying oh he doesn't know he's demented or whatever and i was like well let, you watch the debate and come back at me and tell me that he's completely demented there's a demented person on that stage for sure yeah um and they came back like you know what you're right he had more in his brain than i thought so i think that there is some value in the debate because it's going to prove their ability to talk on the fly i think that there's still value in it i understand what people say like oh it's not a perfect system but i think it makes a ton of sense why we would have it yeah i also think at this point in america there is no such thing as an undecided voter like <laughs> but there the, like, must be somebody's undecided who are these people though and why are they worth a damn because like honestly at this point like I appreciate honestly more at this point that you're for Trump than to be undecided at this point in life. Like, at least you've chosen a side the other <laughs> way. Because it's like, how can you not have picked sides at this it's moment? It's people that know nothing are like, and are paying no mm, attention. Trump or Biden, I just don't know. Yeah. Get out of here. There is, first off, I don't <laughs> believe there's a single person like that. Second off, if they are, why? I, I just don't get it. But regardless, we're not here to talk about the debates, Karen. Our podcast we're is not? too political. According to I'm going to double down our, on that. You don't post. like me, double hate me. Yeah, so we got a review, just so you guys are aware, since we're going to be complaining about it, that said, <laughs> it started out okay. It said, the guy is awesome. Uh-oh, it didn't like me. Ladies. And the lady has a nice voice, seems to be smart. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, you know what? Never says, mind. But I can't stand the constant crap about Trump. <laughs> Folks listen to non-political podcasts to get away from politics. Trump this, Trump that. I'm not a big fan of the guy, but geez, give it a rest. One star. And I understand what he's saying. I'll even give him that point. Although I do love it when my, like, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast do talk about the current political situation. Uh, but we are a politics. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. I just don't know who told him this wasn't a political Maybe podcast. Maybe we should look in to see that we're actually placed in the incorrect category. Oh, I know category. we are. Are we placed in the incorrect category? We're placed in news and politics, yeah. Okay, okay. So... But you know what? I have a nice voice and I sound smart. Listen, this guy... He can say whatever else. That's the greatest compliment I could come up with. Yeah, so I apologize for nothing, and I will continue <laughs> to talk about politics as I see fit. Moving you know on. What? I had a boss who recently said I apologize for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he started out a conversation to us where he's he feels that we treated him unfairly, and he started with, listen, I don't apologize. And I, was, I laughed because I thought he was kidding. I thought, who in this world doesn't apologize really ever? This guy. He's got a wife. All right. Oh, sorry. Next, uh, next topic. You ready for the news? We got a mixed bag of news. How come you're telling me the bad review? I know we have a new fan. We have new fans. Yeah. yeah. We have constant new fans. We have one that's been engaging with yeah, us on the internet. very engaging. I don't I know if we it. necessarily want to talk about no, our but one fan. I'm really excited. All right. We have a real fan. We do. 
All right, Corinne, are you ready to talk the news? We have... Uh, you only brought me a soda. I'm not seeing any chocolate. I don't have any chocolate in this house. We're trying to slim down a little bit. Oh, really? Trying. <laughs> it's tough, man. It is tough. It is tough. There's well, a lot of booze on top of that refrigerator, though. <laughs> we're prepa- we are prepped for the election, all right? <laughs> There's a lot of whiskey in this house. All right, we have a decent amount of news, and then we have a prepper segment today, Corinne. Awesome. Back so, to this... Back to this, yeah, what do you call it? Basics? Back to the, what we're supposed to be yes. talking about here? Well, it evolved, okay? It, we're evolving. Evolved. Yeah, we get to talk about whatever the damn well want. Yeah, if you don't like it, make your own podcast. We are number 598. I think we've dropped a little bit since we haven't uh, posted in a while. <laughs> Shut up. We're going to skyrocket back up next we're week. We're in don't the 500th best politics podcast, podcast in, America, in America as far as reach from a, one chart. Who knows? Anyways. Could be better. Yeah. Congratulations, Corinne. You have officially lived through the hottest September ever recorded. Feels like it. Yeah. The extra heat fueled, of course, the wildfires and one of the most active Atlantic hurricane seasons on record. And heat waves in Europe, Australia, and the Middle East. Arctic sea ice also reflected the unprecedented warmth, melting back <laughs> to its second lowest extent since satellite records began. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, NOAA's predictions suggest, with a 99.9% certainty, that 2020 is going to be one of the five hottest years ever recorded. Surprising nobody. NOAA? The National Oceanic uh, Atmosphere Association. Wow, okay. We, we mentioned them a lot on this podcast. I right? know, but I don't... I know you just kind of glaze over when I get into the news. Sometimes but... you have to, Derek. There's a self-protection involved. Anyways, what's interesting is, if this is, as they are pretty damn sure it will be, one of the five hottest years recorded... It will mean that each of the last five years have been one of the five <laughs> years ever recorded. Mmm, interesting. <laughs> but climate change is a myth, guys. We are living in hell. Yep. <laughs> and so far, the planet has only warmed up about one degree Fahrenheit. You know how they always say you got to keep yeah. or one degree Celsius, got to keep it under two degrees or whatever. We're already halfway there, guys, and this is it. This is what we're already dealing oh, with. We're halfway there. Was that Bon Jovi song? We can't really can't sing that on the podcast. No. No. Cut that. Why would you want to? Yeah, bad singing. <laughs> but my point with that is, like, people are constantly, now that we're getting to the tail end of 2020, like, oh, thank God the year is almost over. Why do people always do that? And I have bad news for them. The climate will never be better than it is right now, you guys. 2025 is going to make 2020 look like... You're going to be uh, wishing for it. Exactly. Do you remember when, like, we the election happened and Donald Trump won here? I'm mentioning him again. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, I'm so done with this year. I'm ready for 2017. And I was like, wait a second. Who do you think will be president? Right now, Donald Trump's not president. He's the only president-elect. In 2017, he's going to actually be doing stuff. What is wrong with you people? Do you think not more celebrities are going to die that you love? Do you think Donald Trump's not going to put kids in cages? What's wrong with you? Yeah, not good. No. All right, Corinne, I got a story for you. As you know, I'm increasingly concerned that the president won't give up power even if he doesn't win election. I don't think you're the only one concerned about that. No, That's pretty much widely a, Yeah, uh, especially worried. since neither he nor Mike Pence uh, said that they would, you know. Not only not denying it, but claiming they literally won't leave. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, in a potential sign for things to come, William Perry Bendley, whom Trump appointed as the head of the Bureau of Land Management, is refusing to leave his post even after the U.S. District Court deemed his tenure and ongoing occupation of the job illegal. Interesting. Uh, Benley said this week that the judge's ruling, quote, has no impact, no impact whatsoever. What? Yeah, he said, I have the support of the president, I have the support of the Secretary of the Interior, and my job is to get out and get things done and accomplish what the president wants to do. You know what? This is amazing. You know, there, I have a lot of complaints about the left. And one of them is, 
man, they are weak. Because this is a strong statement, you know? I don't yeah. care what you say. I'm breaking the rules. And what are you going to do about it? Nothing you're going to do about it. So Perry has served as director of the Bureau of Land Management since July 2019, when he, the Interior Secretary authorized him to the post. But it's a post that has to be confirmed by Congress. Mm-hmm. BLM, by the way, manages 248 million acres, or 10.5% of all of the United States landmass. President Trump formally proposed Pendley for the post in July 2020, but withdrew the nomination after congressional Democrats indicated a unanimous opposition to him. 100%? 100% said that. And even some Republicans were like, I don't know about this guy. (laughs) And so basically he wasn't going to get confirmed. Yes. So uh, basically he was withdrawn from being proposed for this job, right? But he's continued to operate in the position. Montana's governor brought a case to U.S. court saying basically this guy is working unconstitutionally. Like nothing this Montana guy is doing. Montana did? Yeah. Good for you, Montana. Uh, Very surprising. And the judge said again that he was serving unlawfully for the last 424 days and that basically we don't have to follow anything he's done. And the court prohibited him from acting as director and suggested that his decisions during his tenure should be thrown out or overturned. Penley, of course, has refused to vacate the spot. Uh, and this is just like a blatant power grab. So what's this? I guess there is no step. It's not like the president where they've decided that this certain marine, like this certain branch. The Marines aren't going to go into yes. BLM. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happens next year. I guess hopefully Biden wins and then he <laughs> Boy, goes. Who what knows? What a dream world. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Uh, uh, congressional Democrats also expressed concern with his views on social justice and racial inequality recently. Uh, Penley has mocked Native American land management and dismissed Black Lives Matter movement as based on a lie. Ironically, they're both BLM. Yeah. Next story, Corinne. You ready? Yes. No. No? Mm, yes. Okay. <laughs> Amazon near tipping point of switching from rainforest to savanna. I think we've talked about this previously on the podcast, but as the planet heats up and as the rainforest catches fire, uh, we've already, much of the Amazon is on the verge of losing its distinct nature and switching from a closed canopy rainforest to open savanna. So what will happen is basically rainforests are highly sensitive to changes in rainfall and moisture levels, and the fires and prolonged droughts can result in the area losing trees and shifting to kind of a mixed woodland grassland area mm. rather than like full-on jungle and once that happens it's like impossible to switch back it, you know like it's geologic time scale to move from mm. savannah to rainforest you know and the switch was thought to be many decades away but new research shows that the tipping point could be much closer as much as 40 percent of the entire existing amazon rainforest is now at a point where it could exist as savannah instead of rainforest Basically, the only thing stopping it is that it hasn't burned already. Well, but like basically, once it burns, it won't come back as rainforest. Not in our lifetime. Not in anybody's lifetime. This is, of course, really bad for the climate, uh, for the planet, because the rainforests generate their own rain, and they are also like the lungs of the planet. You know, we all read about how important the rainforest is when we were kids. Sure, sure. Uh, this is just evidence that you know we haven't actually saved it, and it's uh, not going great. Great. Is there any good news? I do have some good news. <laughs> You want a good story? Uh, yeah, let's sprinkle a couple of those. Is this the only one you got? I, got, I think I got a couple. You think? I you... can't remember anymore. Mm. I got at least one. We're going to go for it. Let's sprinkle it in, All please. right. The 2020 tourist season has been expected to bring over 1.4 million tourists to the southeast coast of Alaska. Okay. Right? Essentially tripping, tripling the entire state's population. But guess what, Corinne? Worldwide pandemic. Yeah. 
nobody's going on cruise ships nowadays. No, so no. nobody is cruising up and down the coast of Alaska. Is that going to be good? This is good news if you're a whale. Good. Yay for the whales. Yeah. So while it has meant serious economic problems for the thousands of people in Alaska who, you know, rely on the tourist industry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Michelle Fournette, director of the Sound Science Research Collective, and research fellow at Cornell University has been listening on whale conversations in the, you know, Alaska waters for the last 10 years. But wait, wait, I have a prediction. She's like, dude, this is awesome. Where the people are gone. This is great. Yes. That's what the whales are saying. Basically. What's happening? But I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> so what is happening is when there are a bunch of boats in the water, and again, whale watching is what brings people out there. So people drive these boats up close to the whales and they got motors and stuff and they're making loud noises in the water. So what ends up happening is all that stuff stresses out the whales. That makes sense. And they call less when there's boats around, and they don't call for as long, and they don't call, and they're definitely stressed out. They can even take uh, samples of whale blubber, like they basically take like this needle and suck out some blubber, and they liposuction. Can, kind of. I mean, just a small amount, but doing that can test like endorphins and stuff that are in the whale that the whale is creating at the time and they can find stress hormones and uh -huh. stuff in the whales so those levels are way down the whales are talking way more i bet they're gonna have more babies possibly they can definitely find each other and food better right now mm -hmm. so it's good times for whales out there i can probably say the only times i've seen whales are from the shore sure haven't bothered them with a boat also just in case you're interested you can actually hear the whale sounds online that she's been recording this doctor oh. for it. Uh, you can go to uh, soundsciencecollective.org. That's cute. So, yeah, that's a good story, right? Yeah, thank you. Very good, Derek. Uh, well, three more stories. Two bad, one good. Mm. So, what do you want? Bad, bad, good? Bad, bad, bad good. good. Bad, bad, good. All right. So, bad story, of course, as most of you are probably aware, Hurricane Delta made landfall on Friday near Creole, Louisiana, just 13 miles from where Laura made landfall 43 days earlier. As it struck the coast with 100-mile-per-hour winds, Delta left a path of destruction in the form of flooded streets and damaged buildings and homes. Uh, so far, no fatalities have been reported due to the storm, compared to the over 30 deaths reported due to Laura. On Saturday, over 9,400 people were being sheltered by the state. Uh, according to Louisiana Governor John Edwards, however, only 935 of those people evacuated specifically for Delta, the other, basically 8,000, uh, were still, still evacuated, evacuated from Laura yeah. because it hit so close to the same area. And so this is one of the concerns is that basically right now we've got a lot of stuff going on in this nation. Too much And happening. the double hurricane smashing the Louisiana coast is like down on people's priority list. Mm -hmm. Where normally a giant hurricane comes through and devastates people's lives, you can count on Americans to donate money and time. And Their money's at been least donated too many places. Know about it. But right now yeah, no it's like money. everyone is sucked into coronavirus and trump and yeah. whatever and it's like these people living in this area who've lost their homes and livelihoods and have had to double evacuate are like uh it's not good nobody even knows we're here yeah but i will say mutual aid response network uh, imagine a group of louisiana residents is providing more unique necessities to those infected or those affected uh, obviously you know the red cross and other aid organizations are there but the mutual aid response network has been uh, providing resources including chainsaws box fans tools food clothing mobility devices laundry services mini fridges activities for children slow cookers grills all of this while prioritizing funding leadership and safety of black and indigenous and people of color that have been affected by the storms that's great yeah, so, you know, where there's a disaster, there's always a mutual aid response. Just like so. uh, Mr. Rogers told us, look for the helpers. Exactly. 
All right. And then our next story kind of feeds right into that. Mm. So we mentioned how many thousands of people were evacuated due to the storm. Yeah. Uh, Americans have spent far more time in emergency housing this year than in any year during the past decade, smashing 2017's full year record with three months left to go. Uh, The Red Cross has provided over 807,454 nights of shelter to disaster victims nationwide through September 25th, according to data provided by the organization. That far surpasses 2017's year-end total of 658,000, and more than four times the annual average between 2011 and 2019. The surge reflects the growing toll of climate change, obviously, as the country has staggered from disaster to disaster. Uh, So, I mean, these are all people who have had to spend a day or a night in the shelter uh, due to wildfires or many of these many hurricanes or anything. There have been, like, what, 20 hurricanes that have struck the American coast or something this year? I don't know. How many times have they had to get new letters again? Well, every not there are name storms that don't actually make landfall. Right. But I think 20 have made landfall in the U.S., which is another record. It's just insane. Um, So, yeah, the Red Cross numbers don't actually capture everyone forced to leave their home either. Uh, These are just people who relied on those shelters, people who, like, went to their friend's house or stayed in a motel because they bought Mm -hmm. it themselves. None of that gets counted in those numbers, and already we're close to a million. So, getting crazy out there. Yeah. All right. And our last story is actually a good story, Corinne. I saw this one just yesterday on the Smithsonian Magazine website. And the headline was, 3D printed sea turtle eggs reveal poaching routes. Oh, (laughs) Okay, what, all right. I don't know There's if you some saw bad in it, but keep going. Yeah, okay, so it was an interesting story. Uh, you know how, like, sea turtles will climb up onto land, plop their eggs into a hole, and then head back out to sea? Yeah. And they don't really seem to care if people are around. I'm sure they don't like it, but they just do their business don't and they, get out. Don't they do a couple of fake sea holes sometimes? I think they do, but, yeah. you know, we're a pretty intelligent species. Yeah. We can two, spot the Two extra seas. holes aren't going to do it for us. <laughs> yeah, especially if we're watching the slow turtle yeah. move around. <laughs> uh, either way... Big problem with the sea turtles doing this is poaching. Right. Not ju- not necessarily of the turtle itself, but the of eggs. the eggs. The eggs are apparently stolen in mass from these, you know, mass egg deposits and then sold as food. Uh, like all the other weird things an- people steal from animals, it's apparently supposedly an aphrodisiac. I'm going to guess it's for men, though. It's yeah. always, always for men. Of course. Those are the ones who need to want to have sex more. Yeah, they've always got to have tiger penis or sea turtle eggs it's always like let me find the most endangered animal and the most disgusting thing you can get off of it let me eat it it's gonna give me boners for yeah. sure <laughs> so either way uh that's a big problem i guess in costa rica it's already horrible enough you ever watch those videos with the turtles get out of their eggs and then make it to the like none of them make it yeah like you're just watching the birds pick them off and all of these other animals and now the humans are doing it come on guys everybody sure. just be cool but researchers invented a, a 3D printed eggshell that looks and feels, has that same kind of like soft turtle It's tricking feel. humans. Yeah, it's tricking humans. And But inside of it, it's got an RFID chip. It's like I got a tracker. It's uh-huh. like a Lojack egg. And so awesome. they drop, so the researchers drop it into the eggs. And once it gets mixed up with all the goo and sand of the eggs, it's mm-hmm. basically impossible to tell. Oh, so they're putting it in with real ones. So there's yeah. not a batch of all no, fakes. No, because they would tell, I think. Right. But basically what happens is, you know, the poacher will come, scoop up all the eggs in the middle of the night. They're not checking them for, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But they weigh and look and feel about the same. So it just gets thrown in with them. And they can track the entire poaching network soup to nuts. So from the moment they took it from the soup beach. Soup to nuts? Hold on a second. What is that? It's a phrase. What does that phrase mean? Where it does it come from? From the from? beginning to the end. I don't know where it soup comes from. Soup to nuts? When does soup go into nuts? 
It's a phrase. I'm almost positive. I don't Hold doubt on, it, but I have got to get some more information on you this. Are getting dis- you are way off topic today. It doesn't matter, Derek. This is entertaining for all the people, no, and nobody's not. heard of soup and nuts. Soup to nuts is an American English idiom that conveys the meaning from, of from beginning to end. It is derived from the description of a full-course dinner in which the courses progress oh. from soup to a dessert of nuts. Listen, Derek, you can degrade me about this all you want, but this is how you learn stuff. When you hear something you don't understand or is wildly odd, you look it up and then you learn something. Soup to nuts. I get it. A course of meal. Get it. There you go. But nobody eats nuts for... Okay. Or okay. soup. Soup for my family. Actually, I love soup. Yeah. But anyways. It's almost soup season. So soup to nuts, they get the poacher. They get the poacher. They get the buyer. They get the whole network. That's a brilliant plan. It is. So it's really helping out sea turtles. Yeah. So ended on some good news for you, Very Corinne. proud of you, Derek. It wasn't too terrible today. And I learned something. One hurricane. You learned an old idiom that I guarantee you our parents said to us many Listen, times. Dad said a lot of things I just had to throw in the garbage. You know, you can't follow all of it. You know, some of it was just, I didn't even know what the word scuttlebutt was until high school and I heard someone else's mom say it. And now I use it all the time because who says scuttlebutt? Pirates. It's not even, that's not, it's, it's like the gossip. Yeah, but I think it's like a maritime thing. Oh man, now I'm about to Google it. We actually have legitimate prepper segment today, Hey-o. Karen. Back to our roots, Back I guess. Back to the basics. Yeah. This week we have a special holiday coming up. Not formerly Columbus Day, now Indigenous Peoples Day. But October 15th, do you know what holiday it is? My friend Shelly's birthday? It is International Shakeout Day. Sh- yeah, a shakeout? day to raise our overall preparedness level for earthquakes. It, oh, is this an old thing or new? I don't know. Okay. I just saw it on the internet. There's a day for everything. It's a day for everything. We're going to do our part, Corinne, to get everyone Shake it more out. prepared. Where's that Taylor Swift song? Shake we can't, it off. We don't have the licensing oh. for that. Yeah. Just imagine if it were, if we did. Just can imagine it if we did. Sure. Anyways, uh, did you know that earthquakes and tsunamis are some of the deadliest disasters in the world? Uh, in fact, if you're a disaster nerd and you look at the list of like yearly deadliest disaster, earthquakes top the list in 10 of the past 20 years as the deadliest disaster per year. So, <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, fun, fun fact for you, Corinne. So that, my, that's all just to say that even though earthquakes are not specifically a disaster made worse by climate change. So uh, like, unlike, fracking does. Yeah, but fracking makes it's, some We're altering the climate, no? Yeah, but it's not like climate change causes fracking. It's the other way around. Sure, fracking sure. causes climate change and earthquakes. Whereas, like, climate change causes fires and floods okay, and hurricanes. it's indirectly. Yeah, and even then, not as most earthquakes aren't caused by fracking. Okay. They're just the earth moving around. Regulars. We live on a molten bowl of lava, Corinne, and it's always shaken up. Yeah. So, either way... God damn it. You're just derailing Listen, all I'm, day today. Derek, I think the derails are good. So people like me need some little breaksies. All right. I swear Anyways. it's a comic relief. If you didn't have it, it'd just be all doom and gloom. You know that's why I'm here. Right. Don't degrade me for doing a good job today. Is this a good job? This is, <laughs> this is a good job. All right, we're going to do that little section over. No, it was perfect. All right. But because they can affect all 50 states and much of the world, and because of their seriously devastating potential, uh, and because of their kind of uniqueness, I think earthquakes seem like something that a rational person ought to be prepared for. True. So, we're going to cover it. Uh, Quick reminder, though, before we get into kind of earthquake-specific stuff, is that it's always better to be generally prepared for all disasters than to focus exclusively on any specific scenario. 
even right. if even if your area implies you're going to more likely to ha- have earthquakes versus tornadoes or whatever. Sure. So we're going to be talking about things specific to earthquake preparedness, but this is all on top of the idea that everyone everywhere should be prepared for two weeks of basically self-sufficiency, right? right? Mm-hmm. So all the stuff we talked about in our early episodes about having two weeks of food, water, and supplies that you would need to basically live completely off-grid, mm-hmm. all that still applies. Do all that first before you even think about doing specific stuff for earthquakes. Mm-hmm. You also still want to have your generalized kind of bug-out bag ready and all those things we talked about first. So once you're like good to go like for general, then you can start dealing with any specific scenario you think likely where you are. Yeah. So that's just kind of a one-on-one there. If you don't know what to do for all that stuff, our early episodes, which are labeled, have that information. Or you can always check out theprepared.com and their prepping 101, which and is... And their better prepping. <laughs> which is just a really good resource. Yes. So, but it doesn't have us in our... And <laughs> my derailments. Deal. You're yeah. welcome, Derek. All right. I, this is a good job. Uh, once all that is done, it's time to start preparing for a quake. Uh, we start with things to do prior to the earthquake, Right. If you live in an area prone to earthquakes, like, you know, anywhere on the coast, uh, you would sh- should seriously consider earthquake insurance, right? Standard homeowner's insurance does not cover earthquakes because, of course not. Why would it cover <laughs> it things? It covers that- nothing ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why would it cover disasters? Or fires or yes. flooding or anything. The California Earthquake Authority provides most earthquake insurance in California, um, and it can provide insurance for homeowners, mobile homeowners, condo unit owners, and renters. I'm sure there are similar authorities in every other state as well. So look into who provides earthquake insurance in your area. And if you are really concerned about an earthquake, that's something you should look into. Another good tip, uh, one that should really kind of be part of your general preparedness, but I'm not sure if we mentioned it specifically, is to document all of your possessions. Mm. So I know we talked about how you should have important documents backed up and in your go bag and another copy at home or whatever. But did we, I don't think we ever mentioned that you should document anything that might be destroyed in your home due to fire, flood, or earthquake or things like that. Well, anything that's important, valuable, or like, you know, that you want would get money from an insurance company from. You want to have basically photographic evidence that you had it, right? Right. Because everybody's going to be applying for that 65-inch TV, uh, right? <laughs> so what you a great way to do it is actually to kind of take your phone out and go room to room in your house and kind of oh, do yeah. like an MTV Cribs video of your house. <laughs> sad, sad MTV Cribs <laughs> video. <laughs> right. But no, I mean, like, here's my couch, here's my TV, you know, here's this. And just kind of document anything that you wouldn't want to have destroyed mm-hmm. or that you'd want to get replaced if it is destroyed. And then just kind of update that once a year or when you get the new PlayStation or something for Christmas. Mm-hmm. You can do it after Christmas. Make it a... Make it... That's the perfect time, right? Yeah. Either way, you should do that. Keep a digital copy of it on your computer and in your go bag. That's smart. And not that hard. No. The next few steps are about kind of like preparing your house. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you look at your house and you start thinking about an earthquake, what you really want to think about is what's going to fall on my head and kill that's me. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, Because that's the number one thing that's going to happen in an earthquake is stuff is going to fall on you and kill you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So stopping that is a good idea. (laughs) Uh, The thing about earthquakes as well is that there's very little to no warning. None, really. Right? A hurricane is slowly moving towards you for weeks sometimes. And so you know it's coming and you have time to like board up your windows Mm -hmm. or do whatever. You won't have any time uh, to prepare for an earthquake. So you have to kind of always be generally prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the big thing is basically making sure stuff that's going to get knocked over is secure to the walls. 
So I know that like IKEA bookshelves come with a tiny little strap and a nail. And that nobody uses. And them. that no one uses. <laughs> so first off, you should use those or get a better one. You can buy earthquake strapping kits for bookshelves and furniture on amazon here's the issue with this derek a lot of people i think are going to run into this is if you live in an apartment or you're renting they don't let you put holes in the wall yeah i mean there are if you're renting you're buying ikea furniture uh i mean at some point you kind of have to make the decision to go ahead and you know turn your bookshelf to the lengthwise instead of heightwise you get it or strap it to a wall when you do attach a bookshelf to a wall you can like i said you can buy a kit that they make, you know, they sell on Amazon. But what you want to do is make sure you've got kind of a heavy-duty strap that's actually capable of holding the weight. Like I've seen some that are like little uh, uh, PVC rings. Mm. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to, you know, zip tie my giant bookshelf to the wall. <laughs> don't know if that's going to hold it. Mm. So going out, you can just go to Home Depot and buy some strapping and some nails and washers and get this done. The other, th- or screws and washers. The other thing you want to make sure is that you're actually attaching those uh, anchors to studs in the wall. Yes. So you can't just like nail it into the drywall Anywhere somewhere. Anywhere you want. A uh, little bit of construction tip for everybody. Most <laughs> of your wall is just like this thin Nothing. particle board that's called drywall. Yeah. And your bookshelf will rip that right out like it wasn't attached to anything. Mm-hmm. So you need what's called a stud finder. It's a tiny little tool that you can, you know hold up against the wall and basically tells you where there's actual wood in the wall and you can make lots of jokes with the stud finder everyone does it every time you can't you can't use it and not do it yeah but you find it you nail it into the actual wood of the wall so that when your house shakes it doesn't tip over okay right do that for any large piece of furniture that might tip over cuckoo clocks bookshelves cuckoo clocks yeah you know you've got your giant you know grandfather clock right yeah i know you (laughs) We called that thing up five flights of stairs to your apartment. Right. Yeah. But get that done now. Uh, Dressers, mirrors, anything that's going to fall off the wall. I'm thinking about it. And you know what? One thing about being kind of poor is you don't have any nice furniture that's going to fall over on you. I'm good to go. Yeah. Another thing you can do to make that less likely as well is take heavy objects and put them on the lower shelves Mm. of your thing. You know, anything that's heavy, put it on the bottom shelves. I know this is tough. Like you just said, I got a bunch of empty or a bunch of full liquor bottles on top of my fridge. That's <laughs> yeah, not I best called thing. you out hard. Yeah. Move your liquor cabinet to the ground level. To be fair, nobody's going to be standing right where that falls. Sure, but they might not be where it falls, but then your kitchen glass. is covered with glass. So that moves us right into our next point. If you have kitchen cupboards full of dishes mm. or glass or booze, you are going to want to put those little uh, locks on them. Oh, those are so annoying. Those are annoying, but if you live in an earthquake zone, it prevents your kitchen from turning into an inaccessible scrap pile full of broken dishes and glass. Well, mostly my stuff's plastic because, again, garbage. (laughs) So everything's good to go. I've stolen nothing but big jug bottles from (laughs) from AM. Big gulps. Yeah, from AM, PM. That's all I eat out of. Mm. (laughs) No plates, no bowls, just big gulps. And then another pro tip on this one, don't hang heavy items over your bed. Mm. Uh, Corinne, I know you have full-length mirrors, all sides of your waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> Am I like a 1980s? Yeah, you're just uh, a 70s creepy weirdo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Classic. I'm glad but, to know that's what you think of yeah, me. But that's a, a death trap in an earthquake, mm-hmm. Corinne. Don't do that. I do have some pictures, but they're like those uh, canvas. They're, yeah. I think I would just be annoyed. <laughs> oh man so yeah put a nice like poster of an inspirational you know quote with a cat on it or something hang in there buddy yeah tape that up over your roof 
Yeah. Uh, and that'll or over your bed and that'll be much nicer perfect M- much safer or like all of the uh kids in dorms like some sort of uh tapestry exactly yeah another good tip is to make sure that your emergency supplies are properly stored in a safe place if you have a bunch of milk jugs full of water on a high shelf in an earthquake you may end up with a bunch of wet carpet where your two weeks water should be but you don't want it on the ground either you don't want it on the ground but put it on a low shelf or put it in a bucket on the low shelf or on the ground or something so that basically it doesn't break right so you mm-hmm. think about your emergency supplies the stuff you definitely don't want to have get broken during an earthquake my emergency supplies are actually under the only table i own there you go <laughs> The other thing you want to do is make sure that your go bag is stored in a place where you want to keep your uh, bug out bags. We mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning it again. If you build a great bug out bag <laughs> and then store it in your garage underneath your Xmas supplies and like back behind, you know, whatever but else. You stuff, actually can't go get it. Exactly. The idea behind the bag is you literally grab it and walk out the door with it. Like, mm-hmm. It takes two seconds. But then at the same time, if it's got like all of your really important documents in it and someone can steal it from you really easy. Well, it looks just like a backpack. But a backpack's going to have a laptop or something. You know, you gotta, whatever. Either way, the closet by your door, under your bed, someplace sturdy where it's not going to get, you know, destroyed, but also easily accessible. That's kind of that. The next big thing for prevention is knowing that earthquakes cause a lot of fires. So what happens is gas mains will break or gas pipes will burst and then that'll catch fire. Jeez. So you want to be able to shut off the gas to your home. So you need to know before an earthquake hits where the gas main is for your home and how to shut it off. How? What about if you live in an apartment complex? All right, your apartment building does have a natural gas shut off. Usually it has gas like uh, meters for each apartment mm-hmm. um you can ask your super where they are or you can find them yourself just wandering kind of around the outside of your apartment okay uh, but you should be able to find them and they look just like the ones for a home mm-hmm. normally basically you want to know where that's at and know how to shut it off if you need to the easiest way to do it is to keep a wrench in your emergency supplies a big enough adjustable wrench because the shutoff valve kind of looks just like a like a knob that you can turn with a wrench, mm-hmm. right? Another thing you can do is, again, they make these little tools that I bought one at Home Depot for like five bucks that are basically earthquake tools. They have a, a shutoff valve key and you can tape them to your valve. So if you live at a home or even if you live in an apartment, it's like five bucks, mm-hmm. find the valves and basically you just put a little bit of duct tape around this tool Strap it right there to the main because mm. it's the only time you'll ever need the tool yeah. and you don't want to go digging around right for where you it. Need it. So you can hang it or just strap it to the pipe so that when you need to shut off your gas, it's right there. Only shut off your gas if you smell gas. Okay. Uh, most homes in many in places that are really earthquake uh, uh, prone, so like in LA County, require homes to have like an automatic shutoff device, this mm. thing that senses a tremor and, tremor and then automatically shuts it off. That's smart. You can buy those yourself if you want. They're like three to 500 bucks. The other thing you should know about shutting off the gas to your home is you can shut it off easy enough with a wrench. You cannot turn it back on by yourself. Mm. Uh, You need a professional to come out to turn it back on. Why is that? Because it could be dangerous. Okay. So if you shut off your gas, you will need to call PG&E to turn your gas back on. Make those jerks work. Yeah, but here's the point about that. Uh, PG&E is basically who's going to supply most gas in California, right? Yeah. PG&E is the company whose shitty gas lines blew up like 40 homes in San Bruno in 2010, right? Yeah. PG&E is the company that started, what, how many thousand wildfires because of their shitty, uh, you know. And poisoned people. And poisoned people. And has done any number of terrible things, right? Sure. This is the company that you're going to be relying on in the aftermath of an emergency (laughs) to prioritize coming to your house and turning your gas back on. Right. 
So, you know, be prepared for two weeks without <laughs> gas is all I'm saying there. Yeah. Right? Uh, basically. Like I said before, only turn it off if you smell gas. When you turn it off, is it obvious when it has gone off? Or basically, it's like any other kind of valve. It's it will straight. Have, it'll have a straight line turns, so you can tell if it cuts. And it should say on and off. Yeah. Okay. So basically, there'll be this like um, metal uh, pipe. pipe. And if you turn it, it looks like it's cutting off this, the, the, the flow pa- or it's opening the, pipe, the flow. Or parallel to the pipe. Okay. Yeah. And so just boop. Well, I was just wondering if some of them were just really like a nut or a bolt and you couldn't tell. Until no, you sh- okay. it just kind of turns a quarter turn. Okay. So it should still indicate if it's cutting off the pipe or not. Okay. Yep. Um, and there are plenty of diagrams online for this. If you go to like basically just type in emergency gas shutoff earthquake, PG&E has websites, SoCal Gas has websites, lots of YouTube videos for how to do this. It's really simple though. Good. Uh, but just know how to shut off your gas basically. Mm-hmm. That's basically before an earthquake. During now? Now we're going to move into what to do during an earthquake. There's an after, isn't there? There is an after too. <laughs> yeah, you're, you I'm can't smart. Get one past that you. guy was right. I am kind of smart. Yeah. Uh, the terrifying thing about earthquakes is basically that you get no warning for right. them, right? Uh, despite like billions of dollars of research, uh, California's Shake Alert, which you can sign up for, which will give you a text message in the event of an earthquake, can maybe provide 10 to 60 second warnings. I was going to guess 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe you'll get a text message 10 seconds before an earthquake. Yeah. Not that helpful. But Certainly, if you can run to underneath a table in 10 seconds, exactly. it might be helpful. It can be, it can save lives, so I shouldn't joke. But I'm, my point is, if that, and that's that. sometimes they can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the earthquake just hits. Yeah. No warning. Mm-hmm. And it just starts. Like, you have to go, you have to be prepared quickly. Like most of emergencies, the first rule is not to panic right? Keeping your wits and remaining calm is almost always the biggest factor in determining like who survives any emergency situation. Mm -hmm. Like the people who can remain calm and, you know, keep their senses and make logical steps rather than just panicking and screaming. Yeah. They're the ones who stay survived, right? That's for everything. Mm -hmm. Earthquakes has got to be particularly hard because it's such a weird sensation. Oh yeah. It's so bizarre. I've only been in minor earthquakes. Here in Me Sacramento, too. we feel earthquakes on occasion, mm-hmm. but we haven't really lived through a big one. There was the big one in like the 80s that we were technically alive for in LA, but I don't remember that at all. Mm-hmm. France, San Francisco, which is much closer to here, hasn't had a big one in a long time. Again, there was one in like 85 or something. But even but, these small earthquakes are pretty bizarre feeling. Like yeah. it's very unnerving it's uncanny, the, the ground yeah. beneath you is suddenly moving like you're it's so bizarre so again once you feel it you need to react quickly and calmly the official advice for reacting to an earthquake is really simple it's four words it is drop cover hold on okay so hold on to what we'll get to hold that. on to your ankles basically uh number one drop right as soon as you feel the earthquake drop down to the ground but like get down on your hands and knees and steady yourself on the ground any sufficiently large enough earthquake is going to knock you over anyways and if you're already down on the ground there's chances for other things getting stopped before you're hit whereas if you're sure. up tall or if you're up tall your chance of falling onto something or cracking mm. your head or mm-hmm. twisting an ankle or doing whatever It's way higher. So get down onto your hands and knees first. You're going to be way more stable, way less likely to, you know, suffer an injury that Mm -hmm. way. Once you're down, so that's drop, right? Yep. The next step is cover, right? Right. Quickly find the nearest available good enough cover, which is usually a table or chair Mm -hmm. or anything. If there is nothing nearby, 
than simply just cover your head and neck, right? Right. Sometimes you're you going to just... naturally react that way. Sure. But it's basically like the fetal position, right? So yeah. kind of put your hands behind your head and neck. Just kind of provide a helmet for yourself. This is like the nuclear war uh, <laughs> practices they did at school. <laughs> sure. Only actually useful for the disaster, right? Yeah. But yeah, get under the desk, get under a table and cover your head and neck. And yeah. don't run around finding the best cover, no. right? Find whatever is nearby that's good enough. If it's the closest table is the best table, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to leave good cover to go find great cover. Right. Because you're going to get stuck in the middle. Yeah. The other thing is, if possible, get outside. So like if you're right in a doorway or something, don't mm -hmm. go into the building, go out of the building, mm -hmm. but drop cover. Yeah. Right. And then hold on. So if you f are managing to get under a table or chair, use one hand to kind of steady the table, hold mm -hmm. yourself to the table and the chair. That way it doesn't slide away in the earthquake okay. and then you're not uncovered and then you're uncovered or that you don't slide away. <laughs> and everyone likes to clench in a time of fear. Exactly. It gives you something to hold on to. Uh, also just hold on, like it said, hold on to your head and neck and just kind of and wait, wait it out. Yeah. Basically wait out the shock. Yeah. Um, wait out the shake, right? And it might happen and then have a little pause and start up again too. Yeah. There are a few bits of overstated advice that aren't actually very good. Oh, really? So you might have heard to get into a doorway. That's a bad idea. That's not necessarily a bad idea. What it is is modern kind of building techniques or whatever. We don't live in castles or, you know, right. buildings made out of right. like stone. And so the doorway isn't actually any much structurally better than anywhere else in a house. Mm -hmm. So it might be better. It, it's not really any better. So don't yeah. like stand in a doorway. Get down on all fours and find a table. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. The doorway, I knew that. Yeah. yeah. But you hear it all the time. Like sure. go to the doorway. Well, no. If you're in the doorway to the like. If there's no tables or chairs. If there's no tables, sure. But you know, whatever. It's not really any better than anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that was mentioned in a couple of places I looked at for earthquake advice, uh, so it bears mentioning, is a bit of advice I had never actually heard. But apparently there was a chain email, or there is a chain email that's still around. You know how these things like live yes. for years yes. and they kind of just like circulate the population? Yes. Yeah. Well, this one I think started back in like 2009 and is continuing to make its way around on Facebook and chain, you know, and your aunt's emails or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's called the Triangle of Life. Oh, it sounds good. It, yeah, you know? it sounds good. And that's the thing. This one is like, I think it's well-intentioned, but most experts are, find it contentious. Okay. And basically what it says is that the advice I just gave you about getting under a table and chairs is garbage. Don't do it. That's not true. It says that the best thing to do is to sit or like to basically curl up in a fetal position near a sturdy piece of furniture. So like a big, like find a bookshelf. So shelf, it hits and slides off. Basically so that like it falls over, hits a wall and like traps you in a pocket, a little yeah. triangle of yeah. life, right? Yeah. That's the idea that things will collapse over and there'll be little pockets that you're trying to hide in. Uh-huh. This is contentious. Yeah. Uh, basically what I could find out is that this may have some truth in places with really bad building codes. Yeah. But even older buildings in America are going to be way better at withstanding an earthquake. So like if the walls are going to fall in on you, this might be good advice. Mm, but most buildings not. in America are not going to have the walls fall in on you. Perhaps in like a less developed nation. Exactly. So, and even then the advice is kind of like, well, is it even really better than finding a sturdy thing? Yeah. I don't tables know. are pretty sturdy, even kind of shoddily put together tables. Sure. There's are... a reason we've been using them for yeah, a thousand years. Yeah, you've got four beams on top of another beam or below another beam. It's going to, if something falls on it, it's almost going to make it sturdier. Yeah. So 
that's still the best advice. Don't follow this triangle of life, yeah. you know, counter advice. Um, and again, it probably was well-intentioned, but mm -hmm. probably bad advice. So. In elementary school, we had earthquake drills and it was to get under our desk to hide our heads. Yeah, which is what you're supposed to and do. And the so. closest thing, very quick and yeah. So yeah, go with the Red Cross and everybody else's advice and find, drop, you know, drop cover, hold on. Like That's it. the best advice. Uh, the other thing to note, if you are driving when an earthquake occurs, mm, right? I so have this, been driving when an earthquake occurs. If you feel an earthquake, right, pull over as quickly as it is safe to do so, right? Just mm -hmm. like pretty much any other disaster. Find a place on the side of the road, pull over, put the parking brake on. Try to avoid parking near things that are going to fall on your car, like tree? trees or power lines or parking on a bridge. Uh, these, yeah. yeah, you don't want to park on the bridge. Right, those are bad ideas. Uh, turn the car off, put the parking brake on, and wait for the shaking to stop. You want to stay in your car, though. Stay in the car. And a car is basically like a table. Mm -hmm. uh, so stay in that car. If a power line hits your car, do not get out of that car. No. It the is rubber a, is good. Yeah. Do not get out of the car, and do not start your car if mm -hmm. some of the power line has come down and hit your car. Right? Wait for emergency personnel to get you out. Do not drive on severely broken roads or over down power lines so like or bridges yeah or bridges so like once the shaking stops you can can go back to driving get yourself home or out of town or whatever you need to do mm -hmm. but drive safely and don't be an idiot you always see people in emergencies drive where they're not supposed to drive in floods they try and drive through flooded streets in earthquakes they try and drive over a sinkhole they try and do stupid stuff people always try to drive through flooded areas like they don't I mean, I don't understand the basics of a car, really, but I kind of understand you can't flood your car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, some cars are designed for that sort of thing. Your Toyota Prius Your Toyota not. Girl is not. Yeah, but I guess if you're in that little duck uh, car boat, sure. Yeah, or like some people have modded out their Jeeps and whatever else. Right. So it, but yeah, your car, not so much. Unless you are 100% positive it can because you did it yourself, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. But either way. So yeah, don't drive through dangerous areas. That makes sense? Stay out of dangerous places. Yes. Uh, the last one, Corinne, if you are already outside, avoid anything that could fall on you. Like we trees said, and trees, power, power lines. lines. Uh, get down, cover, and just wait it out. If you are in bed, we sleep a lot. Corinne, this one is specifically for you. You sleep quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. A regular amount. Don't get out of bed. Really? Yes. Again, you have no time to find a better place, right? You're going to be stumbling around in the shaking darkness. Stay in your bed. Your bed is soft. As long as you don't have your mirrors over the top of your bed, oh, okay. there's generally not much stuff that's going to fall on you in there. Stay in bed. Basically, lay face down on your bed, cover your head with your pans or with a pillow or something that, you know, can kind of cushion it yeah. and wait it out in the bed. Okay. I don't know if you have seen the terrifying yes. earthquake beds. Yes, I have. Yeah, where you fall into a... A coffin of doom? Yes. Basically, it saves you money on a coffin because your bed has already entombed you like a sarcophagus. <laughs> but you're right. Usually, you don't put anything over your bed, except for maybe your headboard, I guess. Yeah. But even still. So, yeah. yeah those earthquake beds. Like, if you haven't seen them before, Google it. I've seen it. It's terrible. Don't look at it. They're terrifying. There are a couple different versions of them, all terrible. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it gives you peace of mind, go for it. But the like giant metal walls that come slamming down seem like they're way more Can likely to kill you. imagine if that happened not during an earthquake? Or just the fear of it. Yeah. It would be worse than the earthquake itself oh, in no. some ways. Oh, no. I would not want that. Just just kill me quick in the <laughs> earthquake. I don't want to be trapped, suffocate inside my earthquake bed. Oh, God. I would assume they put air holes in it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right, after the quake, Corinne. Okay. Boom. Remember that the vast majority of earthquakes have aftershocks. Right. So just because it has stopped shaking right now 
doesn't mean it won't shake again. Mm -hmm. So use this brief pause to kind of collect yourself, right? The best thing you can do immediately after a quake, quake is to make sure that you're okay, right? Kind of give yourself a once over, anything broken, anything bleeding, you know, do I need attention? And then check the immediate people around you, right? Check your family or your mm -hmm. friends or your workmates. And then get the hell out. Of the house. Grab your bug out bag. Even if you're going to plan to stay at home, mm -hmm. get that bag onto your back so that no matter what happens, you got it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then get out. Now, even if you are going to stay put at your house, go outside because there are going to be more shocks. Yeah. Right? There's nothing in that house you need. Get your family members. Get them out. Right? Mm -hmm. Don't use elevators to do this. Right? No. Most elevators are going to shut off during an yes. earthquake anyways. But just so you're clear, Take use the, the stairs. stairs if you need to. But get outside. Theprepared.com does an earthquake uh, prevention thing. And they list a bunch of, once me and mine are safe, what should we do next sort of steps. Mm -hmm. And they're all pretty good. So we're going to kind of go through there. Okay. If there are small fires... Grab that uh, emergency, emergency well, grab that emergency fire extinguisher, right, mm. and put them out. So if uh, you're, you know, if you were grilling on your hibachi grill and, <laughs> and the earthquake started in 1970, okay. I don't know, uh, yeah, you've got the mirror over your right, bed, right, you right. the hibachi forgot, grill out I forgot, front. I forgot, I forgot. Yeah, you basically live in a swank bachelor pad from the 70s. Austin Powers house. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so either way, grab a, your home fire extinguisher, put out the small fires. You know, help. Uh, obviously, if the fire is too big, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right, call 911. If it is safe to do so, turn off your electrical and gas breakers, right? Mm -hmm. Use your car radio or emergency radio to get informed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we've you've talked about this before. In your preps, you should have an emergency radio. If not, your car radio should be able to give you information. Uh, for example, if you need to leave your home, the radio can point you to the nearest shelter and do things like this. Let others know you're okay. Update your Facebook status telling you that you're okay. Or often, like, a lot of apps have that safety check feature now. Mm -hmm. Send a text message, right? We talked about this before. In the event of an earthquake, lots of the Phone systems calls will be jammed. Text messages are more likely to get through. And um, nobody calls now anyways. Yeah. we are going also to be alarming them. Another thing you can do is update your voicemail message. Basically, just change oh, your voicemail message smart. to, hey, I'm fine. I'm sheltering in place or I'm going to the shelter at what's straight. That's whatever. really smart. Or, you know, as we already mentioned before, in your emergency planning, you should have an outside of the area contact, mm -hmm. right? As soon as you, you can reasonably get in touch with them, tell them what's going on with you so that other people can call them, not try and get into you. And then lastly, use your head. Yeah, this is like, be smart. Uh, they, they said specifically, don't try and hang up the wall-mounted TV that just shook loose. Uh, don't uh, start a barbecue, you know, which is like an open flame, or practice your unic unicycle knife juggling is what they said. Fair. But like the point there is, of course... Obviously, try and help to the best of your ability. But if you can't help, or you are, you know, shocked and you don't want to help, or whatever your don't situation cause is, more problems. Don't be least. a problem. Other people need to solve. Yeah. Right. Yes. Just stay out of the way. Uh, don't go back into a building to get stuff that you think you need. Right. Don't make the situation worse. Don't get yourself into a trouble. Just kind of sit tight. Everybody, read a book, be cool. Be yeah, be cool. You know, help out, obviously, if you can, right? Because your neighbors are all going to be coming out of their houses at this moment as well. And because you are more prepared than most people, probably, you're going to be in a great position to help others, right? That's why we do this. Mm -hmm. So definitely encourage you within reason to help those around you. But even if you're not in a position to do that, let's say you've got to mind five kids, right? Just get them to sit down and play a game. Relax. Don't be a problem. Don't be a problem right be good, a good rule for life yeah, guys just be a good person as well the networks are currently going to be super overloaded at this moment right so a disaster is not the best time to be like 
you know, using the bandwidth for stupid stuff. Like, don't make a TikTok video in the middle of an emergency. <laughs> oh, God. You, you know people would do that. it. Right? Yeah. So the aftermath of an of a earthquake is kind of like a classic prepper conundrum, right? Bug in or bug out. Mm. right do you take off with your bug out bag to the hills or do you stay home right the advice is pretty much still true it's almost always going to be better to stay home yeah you should stay unless there is any very compelling reason not to yeah right so like if your house is on fire that's a compelling reason not to stay there sure. not a lot of if your house there. doesn't have power is not a compelling reason not to you still have food because you have your two week supply of everything right so if you don't have gas and don't have power but your house is structurally sound and you can live in it do that stay there if somebody tells you you need to go go the only major exception to this a giant asterisk Mm -hmm. is if you live in a tsunami zone okay after a hurricane after an earthquake after an earthquake out if you live in a tsunami zone get the F out. Good luck, Cease. Get you know, Once that first shake happens, right, find a way to walk, bicycle, drive to high ground. So, bicycle. again, before the earthquake hits, know where high ground is. And I looked up, like, how high do you need to get? Like, how far away should Pretty you get? Pretty high, don't you? You need to get about 100 feet high. And, like, they advise two miles inland and 100 feet high. 100 feet high? How many stories is that? Like, four? Yeah, at least. Um, it's pretty high. So... But, you know, if you have your topographic map, you can look it up on Google and stuff beforehand. Again, during a disaster is not the best time to find this information out. Yeah. So have your escape route planned. Have your family meeting place planned. We talked about this during, like, the family planning meeting. Especially true if you live in a tsunami zone. If you don't know whether you do or not, look it up. Yeah. If you live anywhere near a coast, look it up. Or a large body of water, look it up. Right, a tsunami is super deadly. Ugh. These are giant waves of water that come crashing in at super fast paces. You cannot outrun a tsunami. No. Right? Uh, and one of the things that happens is when, and we've seen the devastation they can do in Japan recently and in uh, the Philippines, right? Yeah. Just thousands dead due to these tsunamis. So yeah. if you live in a zone that's going to have a tsunami, or you, there's even a possibility get out of your home, get to high ground, and wait until the authorities tell you it's safe to go back. Yeah. I looked up, like, how much time do you have? And, again, it varies quite a bit based on where the earthquake happened mm-hmm. and whatever else. But most of them will say between 10 minutes and an hour. Okay. It's not so a again, lot of time. Not a lot of time. But 10 minutes is enough time to get pretty you could far. maybe run a mile. Maybe work on being able to run a mile in 10 minutes. Right? Exactly. You can, you, know, you can get pretty decently far in 10 minutes. The roads might be clogged full of people, right? So walking might be your best bet. Walking and biking is probably if you only good. Live, if you live a mile and a half from the ocean, right, and you're already at like 50 foot elevation, well, you don't have to go that far to yeah. be safe. You just have mm-hmm. to kind of go up the hill half a mile. Skateboards. Well, uphill skateboarding. I don't know. With a go go bag, maybe not the best plan. (laughs) Well, to get out of the dense city, I would say. Sure. But any sort of load of, you know, including your legs is the way to do it. But get yourself to safety. And again, it's going to vary where you have to go or how far inland you have to go is going to vary widely based on where you are. So look at your local tsunami evacuation codes, right? If you are in an evacuation zone, I guarantee you the authorities have a plan for where you're supposed to go. Look it up. Figure out how you're going to get there. Smart. Right? So that's the only real exemption to the probably stay at home unless there's a compelling reason. Because mm-hmm. that's a compelling reason. That's a pretty compelling reason, yeah. Yeah. And then, lastly, Corinne, what is it going to be like in the aftermath of an earthquake, right? Roads are going to be blocked. 
Yeah, there are a lot of preppers who spend tons of time kind of like planning and thinking of detailed scenarios for what the masses are going to do in the These event. These are the of... zombie weirdos. Yeah, they think they think they can game plan out what everyone else is going to do they're and how they're going to be steps everybody. ahead of everyone. This is... And these guys are dumb. It's usually pretty cringy. <laughs> Right? This is like the conspiracy theorist types. And they seem to take kind of like a delight in the fact yes. that everyone else is suffering and they're just smarter than everybody. That's nice. And the reality is they're probably not. Yeah. So all that said, the aftermath of a of an earth of a large earthquake in like a major US city. So if again a nine point hits LA or San Francisco or something like that, it will be fairly chaotic. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have kind of examples of other disasters that can kind of show what can happen. Right. We already saw what happened in Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Right. When it struck, you know, basically dead on to New Orleans. Right. Uh, we've seen earthquakes hit Japan and Chile recently where they've been decently sized earthquakes. Right. Uh, both nations suffered large earthquakes. An 8.8 hit Chile in 2010. And the country restored 90 percent of communications and 95 percent of power within two weeks. Okay, that two weeks period seems that pretty two accurate. Period, yeah. In 2011, a 9.0 earthquake hit Japan, and 90% of power was restored in 10 days, and 90% of telephone lines in two weeks. So again, that two week period is kind of what you could be expecting. Mm-hmm. But a major earthquake leveling large chunks of San Francisco is going to cause some problems, right? Yeah. Uh, in 2016, the U.S. Navy, the Coast Guard, and Washington's National Guard did a nine day drill to kind of you know, game plan out disaster response for a huge earthquake in like Seattle. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go so great. It didn't go well, huh? No. Uh, the authors of the plan admit that emergency systems are not ready for a massive quake hitting a big city like that mm-hmm. and that they are going to have a full blown humanitarian crisis. Oof. Uh, so basically, this... the Robert Azell, who is the director of Washington's Emergency Management Division, said, quote, there is an urgent need for residents to prepare for two weeks. And also don't live in San Francisco. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Reason 1000. And remember that back to normal is very different than power turned back on. Right. Right. So all of the supply chains are going to be, you know, disrupted, right? So you're not going to be able to order food from Grubhub. You're not going to be able to get your mail or you're not going to be able to, even if the phone lines are there, they might be intermittent service or right. power might only be on for a couple hours a day or you might have power but no water mm-hmm. or water might be contaminated. So even if it's coming from the tap, you need to clean it. There's any number of scenarios that could possibly go wrong or happen and you just don't know, right? That's yeah. why you got to have those supplies on hand beforehand. And this is another classic example of that like 80-20 rule in prepping where like 80% of the stuff takes 20% of the time. So again, we're, when you see like 80 to 90% of services restored in two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. That other 20 to 10% is going to take a lot longer, right? It could be months in some places. Like there's still, there were people without power in like after the San Juan uh, hurricane hit uh, Puerto Rico, yeah. like a year later, or even like New Orleans. Look how long it took for some of the stuff to get restored to mm-hmm. back to normal, whatever. Right. Long times, if ever. So just be ready for this sort of stuff. Basic summary, we're kind of done at this point, but get those two-week supplies ready. A and very good base. A very good base. And then after that, start thinking specifically earthquake tools and earthquake stuff. But that two-week stuff is so important, even for earthquakes, because you never know what's going to happen. It puts you so far ahead on any number of emergencies. Exactly. So that's kind of Earthquake 101. That was great. Yeah, hopefully you learned something new. 
Uh, that's our podcast for today, I think. So if you liked it, subscribe, tell your friends, uh, give Comment, us a good review. good or bad. I might even like it if it's bad. Yeah, apparently. Corinne, you've got to quit telling people to give us bad comments. Oh, I know. They're taking it a little bit too seriously, yeah. aren't they? All right. Thanks, guys. And we will see you, hopefully, uh, before the election again. Oh, yes, we yeah. must. All right. Bye. Bye.